most people give up too soon. The the hardest part, you know, it's that initial. Um, I liken it to pushing a boulder, an Indiana Jones size boulder, up a hill or a mountain. It's really hard, but the, there is the peak of a mountain. There always is. It, it always exists. It's n- it's never never ending. There's always a peak, and the most beautiful, wonderful, magical thing happens when you reach that peak, because after that, the boulder runs down the hill on its own, and that's called the snowball effect. That's the momentum where all of that effort suddenly starts to pay off, and you know, your income starts to go up and you think, wow, you know, I don't even realize where all these customers are coming from. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Fire start your own health movement. And now your host, founder of Juice Guru Institute and best-selling author, Steve Prusak. Well, welcome to Juicypreneur Radio. I'm really excited today. We've got Andrew Locke, one of my greatest mentors. He actually consulted us at Juice Guru and when we were building our business and his information is just priceless. He's been called the Yoda of marketing, not because he's uh, short with green pointy ears, but because his knowledge of marketing is so impressive. And his web TV show is for small business owners. It's helped millions of entrepreneurs implement unconventional and practical marketing methods that work. That shows at helpmybusiness.com. And I'm a big fan of his latest book. It's Walt Disney's Way, How to Build a Better Business Using the Magical Marketing Strategies of Walt Disney, which I thought would be great for our audience because we're all trying to reach more people, fire start the health movement, and we're going to find out Disney's way with Andrew. Let's welcome to the show right now, Andrew Locke. Thanks, Steve. Uh, very nice to be here. I really appreciate the invitation. Oh, Andrew, I love the work you're doing, the work you're doing with Sam. I got to watch all of those sessions, and you're doing such amazing work oh, out there. Oh, thank you very much. It's fun. Yeah, Sam is, what's the quick soundbite for Sam? Uh, Sam is uh, sort of like a cross between TED Talks and a Broadway show. Uh, It stands for sales, advertising, and marketing. And it's short uh, talks by the leaders in those fields combined with live entertainment from world-class musicians and uh, singers and uh, magicians and uh, other entertainment. So yeah, it's it's a it's a live spectacle, a live show that we do in Vegas, and um, basically putting the fun back into business. You know, that was really the genesis of it. That most business uh, conferences and seminars are quite boring. So we aim to entertain. Well, we'd love to hear your entrepreneurial journey. There's so much you're doing in the online and offline space and making a difference and inspiring thousands of people all over the world. So can you take us back to, you know, how you went down this path of entrepreneur? Yeah, um, the the sort of the standout moment um, for me was when I was at school, just in the final years of school, I think I was, I was, uh, maybe about 15 years old um, in England at that time uh, we left school at 16 and um, one day out of the blue I got um, called into the headmaster's office as the principal quick translation there and uh, uh, I was uh, absolutely petrified because I I just was thinking you know what on earth have I done wrong Uh, as you do anyway he um, he, he called me in and he said, take a seat. And he said, do you know why I've called you in? I said, no, I don't. And uh, um, he said, well, we're um, awarding you the award for the, the top um, student in business studies in the school. He says, all my uh, teachers in that field tell me that you are just on a different level when it comes to entrepreneurship and business. So." You know, you could have knocked me down with a feather, feather, um, but there it was. And um, I think that sort of public acknowledgement solidified my path um, to to be my own boss. And uh, you know, it's been an exciting and wild ride over the years. Well, we're going to focus today on Walt Disney's Way, your latest book, and maybe take some of those things on what we can learn about building our own business of of how Disney did it. And I, I know you use some of the strategies in your own business with your clients and things like that. So what are some of your greatest tips from that teaching? Yeah, well, I appreciate you mentioning um, 
Walt Disney, I've, I've been a big fan of his uh, since I was in my teens, actually. And um, uh, n- not many people realize that Walt um, was uh, came from quite a humble, um, some might say even poor background, but he was definitely a dreamer. He was definitely um, an entrepreneur and uh, he was eventually became a real visionary, you know, where the sky was the limit. And we might even say there was no limit. Um, in fact, um, you know, when people said, well, you know, we need to think outside the box when some of his staff said that type of phrase, he would say, you know, there is no box Do you know, get, don't even think about the box. You know, there's, there's no, the box doesn't even exist, but, um, I, I've sort of made it my mission over the years to study him very extensively. And uh, there's just so much to learn, as, as you saw in the book. But I'll, I'll highlight a few things which, which I, I guess really um, stand out for me. One of them is a famous quote uh, for those that follow Walt, where he said, um, he said, do what you do so well that they, that is the, the guests of um, the, what he was talking about his own business, but you know, it applies equally to any business. Do what you do so well in your business that they, as in your customers, will want to come back again, or you know, in other words, buy from you again, or return to your store, or whatever, whatever type of business you have, and bring their friends. So he said, do what you do so well that they will want to come back again and bring their friends. And there's, there's a lot of um, depth to that quote because over the years of helping um, entrepreneurs myself, one of the biggest mistakes that I see people make in their business, just as Walt identified all those um, decades ago, is that most business owners have a tendency of um, – focusing their efforts on acquiring new customers. Most of their efforts go on advertising and, you know, if it's our type of business, building a list, um, you know, and, and that kind of thing. The, the focus is on getting new customers. And there's nothing wrong with that. And every business needs that. But the part that uh, people miss when they do that is that, it is so much easier and more uh, powerful to focus your efforts primarily on nurturing existing customers. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is that simply the front end cost doesn't exist after you've already got a customer. You know, every, every business, whether they realize it or not, is paying to acquire a customer, whether it's overt, you know, obvious channels like advertising and marketing, but even time, um, you know, maybe it's trade shows or, or um, you know, wh- whatever methods you use, uh, there, is a, there is a cost, there's an acquisition cost. So once you get a customer, that acquisition cost is finished because you've got a customer. So rather than uh, focusing the efforts primarily on getting new customers, when you focus your efforts primarily on nurturing the existing customers by um, treating them well, giving them a great experience, um, communicating regularly with them, making them offers, uh, looking after them, and so on, all of those things and more, then they will spend more with you. It's just a fact. But um, as I said uh, earlier, most business owners are terrible at doing this. And, you know, you only have to think in your own life about, let's say, you know, we're all used to buying something online these days. It's very, very um, common practice for us to do that. Um, uh, if, if, we, if we look at those purchases in a you know, really brutal, honest light, how many times does a company follow up with us, first of all, to sincerely thank us for our purchase, to see if we need any help with it, um, to continue to provide value to us, whether or not we make another purchase, and then continue to make other offers. And, you know, we all know the answer is 
very, very few do that, which is, you know, exactly what we're talking about. Because um, what tends to happen is even when we make a purchase with a company, let's say that we don't have a need for that particular item for five, six months as an example, most of us would have to really think hard about where we made that purchase. We'd have to maybe research it. We'd have to maybe go into our search. Um, and, and that's tragic because if the company had continued to communicate with us and treat us well and provide value and so on, they would be top of mind. And more than that, when they are top of mind, when our friends say, oh, you know, I'm thinking of whatever it is, buying such and such, and we've, we have been communicated with by that type of company, who are we going to recommend them to? Not only because we, had, we interacted with them ourselves to buy something, but more than that, because they provide value to us, because we look forward to receiving their emails. So um, this was such a fundamental thing for Walt, and it revolutionized their business. And, and just to, to prove how powerful it was um, for Disney, um, in, in researching the book, I discovered that the Walt Disney Company did not do any advertising whatsoever until the late 1980s. So from the 50s when Disneyland opened, all those decades, they did not do any advertising whatsoever. But what they did do was give guests, as Walt liked to call them, an incredible experience at the parks. He made sure that they went home with some souvenirs that they would show their friends, including a little souvenir uh, picture guide, which they sold at cost. They didn't make any money on it deliberately. And, um, you know, and of course the, the, the success <clears throat> speaks for itself. So, you know, that's, that's one example of something that every single business owner can learn. Even if we, even if we are doing better than most, um, I guarantee that there's room for improvement. So a couple things in there, you know, the follow-up nurturing our, our, our clients and the people that come to us to learn and also creating that experience. It's interesting to think how vast it was for Disney from the cartoons when you can think almost of Mickey Mouse as the mascot. And there they were in all the theaters to draw you into this world that they've created in Disneyland. And I think I once saw some mind map of how they planned it all out. Even back then, did you ever get a look at yeah, that? Very strategic. Right. From, from where it even built to now. Yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, Walt was, um, and of course with his brother, Roy, who is his, uh, elder, Brother Roy was really the responsible for raising money and looking after the admin and, and implementation. Uh, Walt was the, was the people person. He would pitch the ideas. He would come up with the ideas. Um, he would um, inspire and motivate uh, the, the employees and so on. So they, together, they, they were really a dream team. But what were some of the greatest lessons you've learned on your entrepreneurial journey? Things that you know, maybe some challenges you overcame and better ways to reach people and things like Again, that. Again, coming back to Walt, who I've, I've learned so much from because he really was an absolute genius when it comes to this stuff, you know, really quite a humble guy as well. Um, one of the, the stories um, that I learned that made a huge impact on me, and um, I, I think it... Um, makes a very powerful point that, that again, I, I learned from and I, I loved sharing is shortly after Disneyland opened, um, I think it was maybe a few weeks afterwards, one of the gardeners, uh, as Walt was walking through the park, as he loved to do, one of the gardeners came rushing up to Walt and said, uh, uh, Walt, um, we have a problem. He said, can you come over here? And, and, and so Walt goes over with him and, uh, uh, he says, look, um, he says, the people, um, the gardener said, the people are uh, trampling over these um, flowers here and the grass to go over there to take photos of the castle. Um, you know, obviously the, the Sleeping Beauty castle was really the iconic centerpiece. So he was all in a panic and, you know, really upset about uh, what was happening. And uh, he said, we need to 
uh, build a fence here to stop people doing that. And it was so interesting to hear Walt's response because without a moment's hesitation, and this, his response gives so much insight into why he was successful. He said, he said, oh no, the people are absolutely right. That is a great place to, to uh, take photos for the castle. He said, what we need is a path, not a fence. See the difference? So Walt was all about the guest. He realized that there was, there was no business without the guests. It wasn't about, well, you know, look at what we've done to create the, these beautiful gardens. Yeah, that was, that was all part of it. That was beautiful. But, you know, the guests um, saw something uh, that no one else had, which was that there was this particular place, this spot that was a great place to take photos. And Walt was in the whole business of making people happy. So what better way to do that than to take a lesson from the people, accept that feedback and change what was there from a fence to a path. So, you know, we can all really take a powerful lesson from that because we, we run the danger, as I have done in the past, in getting so um, insular and blinkered in our focus of our, of our business, you know, in, in terms of looking inside the business that we fail to remember why we're doing all of these things. You know, if, it, if, it, if we make a decision that doesn't serve the customer, that it's a very strong argument that that's a bad decision. So, you know, in the, every decision we make, we can ask ourselves, is this, am I making this because it makes things easier for me, uh, but detrimental to the customer? Or is this decision genuinely going to, make the experience for the customer better. It's a, it's a brilliant um, sort of qualifying and filtering phrase. And uh, like I said, at times I, I have got off track with my own business in, in being a bit too much like the gardener and I needed to be more like Walt in realizing, you know, why am I even doing this in the first place? I, I'm, I'm serving um, the guests of my business and, and, uh, you know, that's what I need to keep in mind. So I, I love that story. You know, it's just, it's such a classic insight. Yeah. Now you were one of the few people that actually was able to go into the parks and offer these immersive entrepreneurial experiences. And um, what were some of the things, I mean, I was lucky to go to the Disneyland with you years back and you opened my eyes to a few things. One of them I'll bring up in a little bit, but what were some of the things, uh, the experiences you you uh, you really take home when you're looking through the park, the way they're creating and doing things and marketing and intertwining that into the experience. Yeah. I'm always, um, I'm always on the lookout and I learn things, you know, when every time I go, even when I'm taking uh, tours and uh, that's, that's a real privilege for me because um, as you mentioned, Disney do have their own internal um, um, program to help, external corporations. It's called Disney Institute, uh, but it is only for corporations. Um, it's not possible for entrepreneurs and small business owners uh, to do that uh, education. So that's where I sort of came along and uh, offered to fill the gap. And they've been very supportive and um, uh, welcoming of me uh, to do that since they don't serve that audience. Um, but yeah, it, it, in terms of in terms of marketing strategy, again, there's very few companies that um, that really beat um, what Disney does. You know, they, it's they're so strategic and they're so good at it. So, um, to, to maybe give you an example or two, one of the things that I think was genius uh, from really even the early days that they did was. Of course, merchandising has always been a big part of how they make their money. So beyond the ticket price, as we know, people always spend money in the parks, whether it's on food or drinks or souvenirs. And one of the challenges in doing that is that when someone um, is in a Disney park and um, they, they want to buy something, as human nature and and human psychology is such that we can't help but subconsciously, we don't usually do it consciously, but we subconsciously 
compare prices that we see at any given time to our general awareness of pricing. So that's why, you know, if we go to a little corner shop and buy uh, some milk, for example, you know, we, we, most people or bread or whatever it is, most people would be very aware of how much more expensive it is in that little corner shop compared to buying it in a supermarket. We just, you know, we know roughly what prices are on, on most um, popular uh, products. So <coughs> uh, for years, Disney had this uh, issue or this challenge, I should say, in the parks where uh, when they sell drinks, um, and, and uh, for most of the time, it, Coca-Cola has been the main uh, provider of drinks, <coughs> uh, everybody knows how much a Coke costs, right? And um, um, that's why we invariably feel ripped off <laughs> when we go to the cinema, because the prices are pretty outrageous, aren't they? You know, I don't know what it is in LA now, but um, you know, last time I went, I think it was somewhere like five or six dollars for a, um, you know, for a large Coke, which is absolutely outrageous when you think of how much a, a can or a bottle costs in the store. But this is the point is we, we know how much things, popular things like this cost. So what Disney has done, which is really clever, is they have invented not only new drinks, but they've invented an experience around those drinks. And I don't know if you remember reading about this in the book, but one example of this is at um, Cars Land, at Dis- uh, sorry, at California Adventure in California, um, where in Cars Land they have these um, cozy cones, uh, the red cones from the Cars movie, um, and there's probably about five or six of them. And uh, at each one of those cones, they offer unique drinks. And the, each of those drinks are themed around um, the movie. Um, so there's things like um, Red's Apple Freeze. Red was one of the characters. They've got a root beer float, root spelled R-O-U-T-E to tie in with Route 66 and so on. And so all of these drinks are... Um, custom creations, you know, like they have sort of, um, uh, there's one that is um, like a frozen apple juice with a hint of toasted marshmallow. And then there's a flavored foam on top. Um, and they're, they're very delicious. They're very unique. You can't get them anywhere else. And um, so, so the drink is unique and the theming around it is unique because they're sold in these really cool um, kiosks that are themed around the Cars movie. They look like big, um, traffic, the big red traffic cones. Uh, do you remember when we went there together? Yeah. Oh, that was just amazing. Going on that ride, going on that cars ride. Oh, the cars <laughs> ride there is incredible. So, so now what Disney have created in, in, in doing this is they've avoided what we commonly refer to as the apples to apples comparison. You know, it's that when someone um, sees a Coke for sale, they know how much a Coke should in their own mind cost or whatever else it is, some popcorn, for example. So Disney um, now doesn't sell any item that has that direct apples to apples comparison. So if you buy popcorn, for example, it's always themed popcorn, whether it's a Disney character theme or the flavors also are unique. And so it, it changes the apples to apples comparison into being something unique that's only available at the park. And the truth is, um, every business can do this. Every business can use this same strategy to avoid an apples to apples comparison. And it's, it's you know, by um, changing slightly what, what the actual uh, item is or changing the theming around it um, or changing how you, um, what you put with that item. So as an example, uh, if a if there was a store that sold baseball caps, for example, and you know everybody knows how much a baseball cap should cost, and there's plenty of other stores that sell baseball caps, it's very difficult to compete one against the other. But if you adopt this Disney principle of avoiding apples to apples comparisons, 
what you could do is add um, uh, the addition of uh, uh, allowing a customer to add a word of their choice embroidered on the cap um, and then maybe you know charge a little extra if they want something beyond that. But that changes the offer then. It's not an apples to apples comparison anymore. Um, and, um, <clears throat> you know, again, with, with <coughs> the popcorn, the popcorn analogy, um, I've noticed that what some movie theaters have done, which is very smart, again, because popcorn is so expensive at movie theaters, some of them provide a flavor bar uh, of seasonings and toppings where customers can customize their popcorn and create their own concoctions with these um, great flavors and seasonings. And also in doing that, it's part of an experience, they create an experience as well. So, and, and by doing that, they can justify a higher price as you could with the, um, the baseball cap example, because it's not apples to apples comparison. So Disney have done this with all of their merchandise. Um, you cannot go into a Disney store within a theme park and see anything for sale that you could buy elsewhere. You know, even the candy is customized to, uh, with the Disney brand. Everything is changed. If you buy an ice cream from one of their carts, it will be um, either an ice cream that is, has some type of Disney theming, like you can buy one that's in the shape of the Mickey Mouse ears, um, or you can buy a unique uh, ice cream that isn't available outside the park. One of the most popular ones is the, the uh, chocolate-covered bananas with the, um, with the nuts on it. Very delicious. Uh, so anyway, you get the idea. You know, this is, this is just one example, again, of Disney's uh, genius in, their, in the way that they've avoided this apples-to-apples comparison. So people, do, they can't, even if they wanted to, compare prices and... It, more than that, they can also Disney can now uh, charge premium prices as well, which uh, further increases their profits. Good points, and of course, our audience are getting almond milks, not the dairy. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, me too. Yeah, uh, they they do offer um, they do offer a uh, fruit bar, which is um, the one. Unfortunately, the 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 banana one. I think the the chocolate uh, is. Um, is milk, unfortunately, but uh, the uh, they do offer a fruit bar, which is the one that I can have. And that, I have to say, they are they are getting better at um, uh, making uh, items available for um, you know people like us that that really do care about our health and um, you know or or with allergies and intolerances as well. Uh, that's that's really been in the last five years or so. Uh, before that. You really couldn't find much at all, but they they have realized that, hey, wait a minute, you know, this is a huge trend that's not going away. And um, they're, they're doing a much better job uh, now at uh, uh, catering um, for, for those needs. Well, one of the things I remember you showing me was the the different tiers like they had the VIP level of the experience, which I actually was able to get. My brother in law took us on ah. a VIP Disney experience last summer, which was amazing. But um, but you you called attention to that not only in the ticket pricing, but in the products, different tiers. Do you remember that? And you were taking some pictures yeah, of that. Yeah, in fact, they offer they offer tiered um um tiered pricing on a lot of different things and. The, the principle behind that is that um, in any given business, no matter what it is, um, there will always be a good 20% of customers. It's sort of like the 80-20 rule. There will always be a good 20% of customers who just want the best. You know, they, they can afford it. They're happy to pay a premium uh, for, to get something extra, to get something special, to get something different. and um, one um, very easy to understand example of that uh, is with uh, water. Uh, if you want some, if you want, uh, uh, if you want a water in the park or water, as uh, we say in America, uh, you have a few <laughs> options. Uh, first of all, you can acquire uh, water for free by going to one of the um, plentiful uh, drinking fountains that are around the parks. 
Um, and then um, you can also uh, buy Dasani water, which is their sort of um, mid-level offering because it's, you know, you've got your free and then you've got your mid-level. Um, and then they also offer smart water uh, at a premium. So, you know, for that 20%. Uh, so, it, you know, it, they, they do this in many, many different ways of their business, uh, many different aspects of their business. They also do it with the uh, resorts. So on the most budget end of the scale, <clears throat> you can elect to bring your own tent and stay at the campground. This is in uh, Walt Disney World. Uh, the next level up from that would be a little cabin in the campground. Then they have the budget resorts and then they have the mid-level resorts and then they have the, the uh, premium and, and deluxe resorts all the way up to the, uh, the private villas. Uh, for example, they have uh, the Bora Bora style bungalows now on stilts outside of the Polynesian resort, um, which at least these bungalows are on stilts, um, just like the ones you may have seen in those idyllic pictures from Bora Bora. Uh, and they, they um, are on the Seven Seas Lagoon, uh, which is the, the ferry ride that leads up to the Magic Kingdom in Florida. Anyway, um, to, to uh, stay in one of those in the peak season uh, period, you're looking at over $2,000 a night. So uh, the point being that Disney has something available for everyone. And it's very strategic, it's very by design. And most businesses, just on a fundamental level, are losing out uh, not only on business, but also on profits by not offering something at a premium level. So you should always look at your product or service lineup and say, you know, what is my most premium level? Uh, for me, it, you know, it's, I'll, I'll come and spend a day with you like I did with you and um, consult with you and, and help you with your business. That's what we did. And I actually brought, I brought Andrew to Disneyland too, as part of it. I was like, well, if you're coming out here, how about we go to Disneyland yeah, too? Yeah, we had a fun day out, didn't we? I think that was the day before, um, which was uh, it's a great experience as it always is. So yeah, so that's really the big lesson to learn is that probably you're missing out both on, um, on increased sales and increased profits by not having uh, premium offerings in your business. Great points. So today, what is your biggest achievement? What are you most proud of for this body of work you've created? Oh, that's an interesting question. You know, our, us Brits are not really supposed to uh, blow our own <laughs> trumpet. I've been in the States 17 years, so I should be used to it now, shouldn't I? Um, well, you know, I, I would say that the probably the thing that I'm uh, happiest about is that I started the Help My Business show in 2008. So um, that's been running for 12 years. And it, it's actually adopted the SAM uh, brand now as I'm sort of aligning things. But for most people still know it as Help My Business. Uh, and, and that show, as you know, um, has been completely free that entire period. Um, I, I don't advertise, uh, I don't off, you know, I have sponsors, but I don't advertise, uh, any external companies on the show. It's been my way of providing value in advance, uh, and also giving back. And so, um, one of the nicest comments I've had, I felt I've had this comment from, um, two people, uh, who went to, <laughs> believe it or not, Harvard business school and both of them said independently, I don't think they know each other because the, these comments came many years apart. Um, both of them said they've learned more from watching my show, Help My Business, than from attending Harvard Business School. So you can't get much better compliment than that. Uh, and, and to get it twice from two different people is, uh, is pretty, um, you know, that's, that's a, I take that as a huge compliment and I'm very proud of been able to make that uh, uh, video content available, you know, since since uh, 2008. 
2008. So yeah, long time. Well, what has been your biggest challenge in doing the work you're doing? What would you yeah, recommend? Um, that's an interesting question too. You know, it's um, as soon as you ask, as soon as you said that question, something immediately popped into my mind as it, as it um, normally does, does when the question of challenges comes up. I went through a very messy business partnership uh, divorce. And um, I, uh, to sort of cut a long story short, I was developing a business and the business partner I had fell ill and I needed someone else to fill the spot. Someone else came in um, who I had known for some years, but I didn't really know the person, if you know what I mean. And I should have done more due diligence. Um, they didn't do their part. And uh, after about six months, it was obvious that it wasn't working out. And I ended the relationship, uh, thought that was the last of it. This was sort of in, this was in, um, I don't know, I think it was around about April of the year that it happened. And um, I thought, you know, well, at least I can move on. Well, uh, December the 24th of that year, um, so all those months later, I got a knock on the door, Christmas Eve, and uh, the the guy said, Andrew Locke? And I said, yeah. And he thrust out his hand and I got served a lawsuit, totally frivolous. Um, and uh, so I went back and forth with the lawyers and um, thought that it was resolved. And... Um, it, you know, of course, it cost me a lot of money to to do that, I, I should say, to resolve it. Anyway, um, so it was resolved, you know, round about the same time the following year, round about in the springtime. Um, believe it or not, December the 24th of that same year, the next year, I got a knock on the door, exactly the same thing happened. And... So, you know, you can imagine the, the sinking feeling after going through all that pain. Anyway, this time it dragged on for four years, um, almost made me go bankrupt. It was the most stressful time of my life. Uh, the guy was absolutely crazy, as you can imagine, uh, completely frivolous. And... Um, it, you know, I, I essentially lost my passion for doing anything in business because it was just consuming for four years. It consumed my life. It consumed my money, you know, and um, it was just, and when you're in that situation, you don't have a choice. You have to fight it, you know, and if you're going to fight it, you've got to use people that know what they're doing. So it's, it's a no-win situation. The only people that win are the lawyers. Um, so, uh, anyway, at the end, the end of that, um, when it was finally resolved, it, it had hit me so hard. It had had such a negative impact on me mentally, emotionally, that, um, I, I genuinely didn't do anything. I, I was like, I was paralyzed and, um, I, I just, I didn't have the motivation to, uh, to work. And uh, because I thought, you know, as, as you can imagine, my mindset was, well, what's the point? You know, <laughs> if, if you work so hard and something like this happens and just, you know, as, as I'm sure people can relate to right now, because we're, we're in many respects, we're getting, we're heading towards a similar situation for many businesses, you know? And so what's the point, you know, what I've worked so hard and now, things outside of my control have decimated my business. So, so I was really, I was really wallowing. And, um, then, um, one of my great mentors, um, a guy by the name of Dan Kennedy, who some of your, uh, listeners will probably know he's, he's one of the, the genius marketers of our day, um, and, uh, has fantastic, um, um, uh, marketing books. Anyway, he, he gave me some advice that was so simple and yet so profound that it made all the difference to me. And what he said was, look, it's okay to wallow. 
what's happened is totally understandable. Anybody would be affected like the like you you are. You know, it's okay to wallow. And so that kind of shocked me a little bit because, you know, he's not that you would you would think he's not that type of person to um sort of have a soft side and uh, to say something like that. But the qualifier was 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 where the importance of the message was. So he said his, that was the first part was he said it's okay to wallow. And then he continued, but only for a little bit. He said it's okay to wallow, but only for a little bit. And then you have to get back up on your feet again. And so it, that made all the difference to me because I thought, you know what? I have wallowed and, um, you know, it's, there needed to be a grieving process because what had happened was so, had such an impact on my life, um, you know, both professionally and personally. But there is a time and there has to be a time to pick up the pieces and move on. And what I, when I decided to do that, I accepted the advice. I thought it was great advice. Um, what I built afterwards was infinitely better. It was more enjoyable because I'd learned a lot of lessons in um, the things that I'd done before. So starting again, it enabled me to have a fresh start and avoid the mistakes that I had made originally, build a much better business, much stronger, one that uh, I really enjoyed doing, uh, avoiding mistakes with partners and so on as well along the way. and. Um, you know, going from strength to strength. So that was, uh, that was a really, really hard um, time, you know, because it was circumstances outside of my control. But if, you know, if there's, um, if there's an example and a lesson that, um, you know, in terms of losing basically everything and being hit emotionally and mentally, but being able to eventually get back up and making something stronger well, that's exactly what happened to me. So um, I know that it is possible. Um, and, and ultimately, it is about mindset. You know, even if with, with the current situation, it may be that some uh, people need to or have no choice but to go into a different industry because of how things have been affected. Well, you know, you, it's still within your power to do that. There's, there's nothing to other than your own mental blocks and fear, there's nothing stopping for anyone from doing anything. So um, I hope that's helpful, uh, you know, especially in the, in this times that we're living in right now, that um, it is possible to move past the most painful experiences. And uh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how dark it feels right now. Yeah, a lot to learn in that story right there. And before we wrap up, Andrew, what uh, what's your advice for those just starting out, wanting to reach more people, become fire starters of their own health revolution and and really inspire an audience? What are some of the things, you know, if you were starting all over again, maybe you would do um, to to get further faster? Well, um, the the stats of people. Starting a new business. Um, say that the vast majority of uh, small businesses end within the first year. And uh, that's really because most people give up. So I think one of the biggest things that I've seen that is important uh, to realize over the years that of helping people is to have the quality of stubborn persistence, which Walt did too, incidentally. He absolutely was stubbornly persistent. He never took no for an answer. He got turned down by over 100 banks when he sought financing for Disneyland. And after that, he had to get creative and find another way to finance it, which was by partnering with the ABC TV network and also financing, um, refinancing his home, which he was quite willing to do. But the, the point is stubborn persistence. Most people give up too soon. The, the hardest part is that initial, as you know, too, you know, it's that initial, um, I liken it to pushing a boulder, an Indiana Jones size boulder up a hill or a mountain. It's really hard. But 
the, there is the peak of a mountain. There always is. It, it always exists. It's, it's never, never ending. There's always a peak. And the most beautiful, wonderful, magical thing happens when you reach that peak. Because after that, the boulder runs down the hill on its own. And that's called the snowball effect. That's the momentum where all of that effort suddenly starts to pay off and, you know, your income starts to go up and you think, wow, you know, I don't even realize where all these customers are coming from and there's income. It's wonderful. So, but most people give up on the way up, pushing that boulder up the hill. So stubborn persistence is one of the key qualities that every business owner needs to have. It's absolute necessity. And most people just give up too soon. They give up, you know, within um, a short distance of that summit usually, and they just need that extra push because that's when it's the hardest. That's when they need that extra, you know, motivation um, to to carry on and and get up to the summit. So that's one um, essential thing. Another one is is to really be a good student of marketing. Um, Sadly, there aren't a lot of great resources um, when it comes to marketing that works and, you know, really being strategic about it and, and, um, going about it the right way as, as we talked about at the very start of, uh, this call, you know, most small businesses are still falling into old traps of spending money on advertising where there's no accountability, um, you know, like image advertising where there's no call to action um, <clears throat> and things like that. Uh, so, you know, be a keen student of marketing that works, marketing that's proven. Avoid um, following the herd of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the um, you know, where you all go chasing after the same um, the same thing. It's, you know, like jumping on the bandwagon or, um, you know, blindly following the leader, the leader. That is what most business owners are doing. Unfortunately, they see, for example, I mean, you know, years ago, it used to be things like, um, not so much now, but it used to be things like, well, everybody sees it, everyone else doing an ad in the yellow pages. So they think, well, I should do that as well. And usually that's, you know, the worst thing they could do because your ad just blends in with everybody else's ad and there's nothing to make you stand out from the crowd. So often it's doing things that are the opposite of what most businesses are doing that help you stand out from the crowd. Great advice. And I love your show. It's such a great resource too. And I love when you identify advertising that works and versus you know, the, you know, you show these, these unbelievable stories of marketing that obviously isn't going to yeah, work. And, and often <laughs> it is by these huge advertising agencies, but what, what people have to realize about advertising agencies is for the most part, they're very clever in creating advertising campaigns that, um, showcase the brand rather than directly calling Um, or asking people to take an action, which is called direct response advertising. So when you you create advertising for someone, as the advertising agencies do, or, you know, a social media agency sometimes does these days, um, their tendency is to create an ad that just advertises what you have to offer. And there's no way to track the effectiveness of that ad, which is great for them, because they can collect your money and say, yeah, we did what we, what we said we would do. And here are all the ads. And you see that the ads are out there, but it's meaningless unless you can track the successfulness of the ad. And um, that's something that I learned from one of my mentors who I mentioned, Dan Kennedy. Uh, everything needs to have trackability and accountability so that you can understand, was that money well spent or not? And how much did it cost for us to acquire a customer through that uh, channel, whether it's marketing or advertising or whatever it is, salesmen, you know, whatever we're doing, it needs to be accountable. Otherwise, we're just throwing money away. Great tips right here on Juicypreneur Radio. We've got Andrew Locke. His website, again, 
helpmybusiness.com. Is that the best way for our listeners to follow yeah, you, Andrew? Yeah, absolutely. I think Help My Business, as I said, it's integrated with the SAM brand. So I, it, it forwards now um, to the SAM brand. But you can still see the show there and um, uh, it's still free. And uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy, as you can tell, uh, helping entrepreneurs. And, you know, I'm passionate about this. It's, it's um, uh, you know, it can be a lonely thing, but as you know, being an entrepreneur these days. And um, especially if we're surrounded by family members who don't really understand what we're doing. Um, and worse, sometimes if they're critical of what we're doing and, you know, make unhelpful remarks like, you know, why don't you get a real job and things like that, which sometimes uh, happens. So, um, you know, we, we need to stick together and help each other. And Andrew's been so helpful in our business, like we said. So highly recommend you listen to the to his words and his advice and uh, and you'll be successful. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. I really appreciate that. The invitation, Steve. And um, um, if, if it's OK with you, can I just mention the book, too? Of course, Walt Disney's yeah, Way. Um, that is available on Amazon. I'm, I've, I've written seven books, but this is the one that I'm most proud of. It took the longest uh, to write um, over three years uh, of research and hundreds of visits to the park, which, as you can imagine, was such a, a, uh, uh, a trial. <laughs> I'm being facetious, of course. Um, but yeah, it, it's, uh, it, 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 you know, I'm really proud of it. And it's every chapter is packed with great lessons that every business can owner can use even if you're not in the entertainment business which you're probably not it's designed to help every type of business so it's walt disney's way yeah and you'll see my review on amazon i actually yeah that's right you're very kind so I, I highly recommend it. And I know it's coming out on Audible if it's not there yet. So I'm going to be getting a copy on there, too. I'm holding my copy in my hand right now. And that's how good it is. So highly recommended. Thank you again for all the work, oh, Andrew. My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thank you again. This is Steve Prusak, Juicy Preneur Radio. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio for Entrepreneurs. Visit JuiceGuru.com to learn more and start building your health empire today. 